Being Contention Podcast. I am your host, Matt Cranstuber, with Joey Pasco. Yo. And Ruben Bressler. How's it going, folks? It's going pretty good. How about you guys? You have a, a nice Thanksgiving weekend? Yeah, I had a real nice weekend. I got to go home, see the family. Um, uh, and that weekend, we my uncle rented a lodge out in the middle of the Hocking Hills, and so we just hung out there for a little while, which nice. was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. How was, how was yours? My, it's pretty uh, good. Was excellent. Yeah. Good. Had uh, had four days straight off from work, but I was on call on Friday, so I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go out of town or anything, so I just sat in front of the TV, sorted magic cards all day, and watched the entire first season of American Horror Story. Sounds <laughs> like an, an excellent day. An excellent. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to have a day off at home. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and it, I luckily didn't get called into work, so it was, uh, otherwise nice. there would have been a, a mess of magic cards sitting out until Saturday. Yeah, I did about the same. We uh, we had a significant amount of Thanksgiving food, and then I somehow had pizza three times uh, again. <laughs> I had so. it twice. That's actually kind of funny because I. Never, well, I like never you know I tried to like mix it up because I knew that Thanksgiving meals are so traditional and like pizza is just the total opposite of you know turkey, mashed potatoes, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, after four times eating the Thanksgiving meal, I, I finally am done with it. But uh, you don't need to hear about my my meals from this weekend. But uh, we, we got a good show here. I'm going to get to the hashtags in a second. But first, why don't we give a plug to our sponsor, StarCityGames.com. As uh, you may know, In Contention is the official podcast of the StarCityGames.com Open Series. And this weekend, the Open Series comes to Baltimore, Maryland, Joey's, uh, Joey's stomping grounds, right. with $10,000 prize pools and standard and Legacy Opens. If you can't be there, be sure to tune into SCGLive.com and catch Joey Pasco, Matthias Hunt, and Ricky Hayashi with Glenn Jones and the Cyborg bringing you all the action. The Twitter hashtag for this weekend is SCGBolt, so you can use that to join in the discussion. Can't make it out? Be sure to check out an Invitational Qualifier tournament near you. Go to the StarCityGames.com Open Series page for a complete listing at StarCityGames.com slash SCGOP. So that's going to be a good weekend. I'm really looking yeah. forward to Ricky Hiyashi's breakout or debut uh, yeah. at the helm. It's going to be yeah. I'm looking forward to it because it's going to be interesting having a judge in the booth for the whole the whole day on Sunday. Yeah. All right. So we have a little bit different show topics to go over today. Um, you know, given that it was the Thanksgiving weekend, we didn't have a whole lot of tournaments aside from Taipei and San Antonio. But uh, we are going to instead focus on a couple topics. Um, namely, there was an announcement last night uh, regarding power on Magic Online. So we have hashtag NTGO Power. And then along with that, we're going to review a couple hot topics right now, which is uh, the reserved list. And then another one, which is NTGO subscription. And then, of course, at the end, we have um, a pretty cool bit of congratulatory news uh, regarding a certain someone who used to be on the show. So, hmm, Who could it be? <laughs> Let's start. I'd actually like to start with the announcement made last night. I don't know if you guys had an opportunity to check out the mothership, but uh, on DailyMTG.com, Watsi announced that for the next cube that's going to be happening at the end of December, I believe it starts on December 19th, the new list is going to be a little bit smaller. It's going to be 540 cards, but it's going to include power. And uh, not just the Power Nine, as you know it, uh, you know, being the Moxin, Black Lotus, etc., but also Mana Drain, Mind Twist, Soul Ring, uh, you know, the more, we'll say, broken 
cards that, uh, you know, they, they've been around in cubes for a long time. In fact, most of the original cubes that existed had power in them. So, you know, really that is the original cube. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be super interesting. But it's not so much the announcement that it's going to be in cube that is makes it such an interesting topic. It's uh, the implication that power is going to be made available on Magic Online. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think about that? I mean, that's that's a pretty cool announcement. You know, Classic is pretty darn close to Vintage Online minus the, you know, the Alpha Beta power cards. I mean, you have pretty much everything else. You have Workshop and Bazaars and, and all that good stuff. So, you know, this could pretty much make Vintage totally available online. I, I think that would be awesome. I really think... Uh Anything that gives players more opportunities to play uh, and multiple formats or, you know, whatever gets people excited, like, I think this is great. There's, I don't really see a, a, a good argument for a downside, so if either of you guys could present one to me, I'd love to hear it. No, I'm I mean, I... S- with- Go ahead, Ruben. I'm sorry, I was, I, I'm fine with power coming to being online. I think it's about time. Just stay out of my cube, man. you know it's the i've seen a few tweets on the subject of course people that have power in their cubes are you know ecstatic especially since they made it a little bit smaller uh i personally i think it makes for a weaker draft environment i'm not going to turn down the opportunity to to cube i personally don't like powered cubes but uh yeah i I think it'll be a good diversion it'll be a good change of pace Got to get those turn one gloom surgeons and ember haulers and <laughs> super other powerful cards that are right on the same power level as Moxon. Well, uh, Andrew Cooperfaust responded with a very simple tweet that I think says it all. Well, at least Storm is going to be good now. And, sure. uh, you know, Storm was fine before, but now I think it's you could actually build a legitimate Storm deck if, you know, if you had enough power. I think that those cards, they aren't going to be joke picks anymore. Those are going to be actual legitimate picks, uh, especially when the cube size is going down to 540. So the value of something like Brain Freeze and Nintendrals, where you may not have even seen them in the draft, you have a much better, you have a, what, a 30% better chance of seeing those cards in a draft than uh, than before. So it should, should be pretty interesting. So, but so, uh, Crandy, I, just out of curiosity, why don't you like powered cubes? You know, because you're, you're the have, cube guy. <laughs> I, I've put off writing about this, podcasting about it for so long because it's such a polarizing subject. Well, now your hand has been forced, sir. (laughs) Well, in a nutshell, without getting on a soapbox or anything, I just think that power cards, be it Mind Twist, Time Walk, Fast Mana, there's such simple picks in a draft that it makes the draft less fun for me. So if you open up a pack and it has Mox Ruby, you know random white weenie guy, even something like Armageddon, unless you are really certain as to what your strategy is going to be, I don't think it's the right pick to take anything but the fast man. I mean, you're talking about free signets and I will first pick signets. So it just, it changes the dynamic of the way cards play. So like, you know, cards that are pretty unassuming and regular cube become completely bonkers. Uh, As an example, this would be, like Planeswalkers, being able to play them a full turn earlier uh, sort of offsets the disadvantage of you know being a 
a three to five mana planeswalker, you shouldn't be able to play them on turn two, turn three. And you know, if you're if you're play, if you're a player that doesn't have a creature on turn one or two, you you don't have any way to fight back. Yeah. So just, I just, just don't like, like I just like I don't like vintage. I just don't like playing vintage personally. Just like mm-hmm. I don't like playing vintage, I don't like power in my cubes. I like playing magic. You yeah, know? It, it creates very swingy plays, and, and a lot of people like that. A lot of people like that uh, as, you know, their cube vision is to have a very swingy environment. And it's just not so, it's something that I, I don't personally, you know, aspire to, to make my cube like. But I don't fault anybody for it. And I certainly don't think that it's a bad, that it's a bad list. I mean, looking through the list, it's pretty sharp. I, I mean, I'm excited to play it. I'm excited to see what dynamic Wizards brings to the table because they totally changed my perspective on tubing in general with their list, the way that they build it, the way that they designed it. And uh, I added a ton of stuff from that. And, you know, if this ends up being a blast, maybe I'll take power for a spin again. I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, but it's definitely interesting. Yeah, I think it's something cool because it shakes things up, you know, and it's, it's just going to be a new experience for a lot of people. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people d- might not even have access to a, a local cube, and so they can only cube online. And so they've never had access to a powered cube. And you know, this is this is something that's just going to give them an opportunity for a new experience. And I think I think that's cool. And uh, you know, I, I, but I, I think I agree with you guys as far as you know, the really swingy stuff is not usually where I want to be. You know, in in playing these kind of uh, formats, but. Uh, you know, other, otherwise, like, I think it's largely just a positive thing, and it's a preference thing as far as why, whether or not you like to play with power or in vintage or cube. Now, I think it remains to be seen how Wizards is going to implement power into Magic Online. You know, there's a number of different ways they could do it. They could do a reward system. They could run tournaments for them. They could even, you know, release an, a new, you know, Masters set online and put power in them. It's going to be pretty difficult for them to uh, I don't know, I, I, I think releasing it as a prize is probably going to make them so scarce and expensive that it, it won't work out. I think if you want it to be a supportable format, it's going to have to be in uh, either a giveaway like, you know, every everybody who gets a certain number of points gets a power card or, um, you know, make it like if you win a classic draft, you know like a Mirage or a Tempest or something that the winner of the draft gets a card the same way that you get like an Avatar. So right. that, I think that would inject them into the format really quick and would also provide a little bit of incentive for players to get in and join these, you know, these legacy queues, these, uh, these older draft queues. they got to figure out a way to make the power more expensive than Force of Will, right? Yeah, so it, <laughs> an interesting article came out this morning also uh, from Ted Nutson talking about the price of Force of Will, basically pricing people out of legacy. And the very same thing could happen to Vintage. I mean, you need Force of Will to be in the format, and uh, it's the exact same kind of barrier you'll find out. And so, especially if people are getting their hands on a bunch of power cards, you create a whole new problem in that now you have two formats, maybe arguably three formats, that are trying to get access to Force of Will, but no real outlet, like no real way to get Force of Will in the hands of players. And that, that's a real problem to the long-term sustainability of these formats. How much is Force of Will right now online? It's 120 tickets, okay. and it's it has been that it's been pretty much stagnant uh, for over a year. It's been that price, no no up, no down. Okay, that that sounds about right. That's uh, 
I, you know, I bought in at one point, and it was under a hundred ticks at the time. But mm. uh, I remember it, it it had gone up quite a bit before I sold them. <laughs> so, <laughs> is is Force of Will on the reserved list? It's no. not. It was an uncommon in alliances. Yeah. So okay. uh, it may have one point been on there uh, because of the way that they structured the reserve list. Um, actually, no, I think that was just Alpha Beta Unlimited. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it is free for printing in all forms, including in a regular set. Hint, hint, hint. Right. Yeah, I mean, there has actually been discussion of, of the possibility of Force of Will coming back in, in an actual standard legal set. Oh, I, that would just make my make my ear. Yeah, well, we put it into modern. That would be that. I think that would be super helpful for modern, just because of having that, having the ability to have you know, quote unquote, free counterspell against a lot of these combo decks. It wouldn't even be that good in standard, right? Right, and that's that's the argument. It's like it's not all that, especially not right now. It's just like Cavern of Souls everywhere. <laughs> Force of yeah. Will is like silly. The only thing that makes it scary and standard right now is Sphinx's Revelation. Uh, I, that card is... Chapin has been talking about that card for a while as, as being his the scariest card in standard, basically. And that plus Force to Will means that, uh, you know, the, the only way that you're going to be able to win in the mirror is that you have more Sphinx's Revelations or more Force of Wills. And I don't, that that's the, probably the only argument I see for it being good in standard is just in these like grindy, like blue white and bant decks force is a pretty darn good card. Um, yeah, but, they uh, couldn't really print force will in a standard environment that had Supreme verdict and detention sphere and Sphinx's revelation. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so, but I, it also depends too on what we see. The next two sets are really going to help paint the picture, especially we have Demir and Simic coming as, yeah, right. as blue colors. And, uh, you know, we're not really seeing a lot of, like, Esper. And I, I expect Esper to be one of, if not the best decks, once we get access to Godless Shrine and uh, Watergrave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and more cards that are in color. You know, Orzov oh, and course. Demir. Right? You, get, you <laughs> yeah. get Orzov and Demir spells in there. I mean, I imagine Orzov's going to have some pretty nice removal spells. And Demir is going to have probably some removal or, you know, weird counter spells that... Uh, I, I don't know. It just seems like we're gonna we're gonna get some cool stuff in the next. Yeah, set. If if every gruel card doesn't deal with lingering souls, I just don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they just reprint um, Simoon. <laughs> I was gonna say volcanic eh? fallout, but oh, fallout, sure. Well, they're not doing the uh, uncounterable cycle in Gate Crash. Remember? Oh, did they say that? I, I, they said they are not doing uncounterable spells like they did in Return to Ravnica. Well, oh, good. Okay. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Just a whole bunch more hexproof guys, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Just... All right. So let's say let's say Watsy decides that they want to put put power in line, and and it works out, and and everybody has their force of wills, and we live happily ever after. That's that's all great and everything. But something that's come up a few times, Joey, you you were mentioning this as we were brainstorming ideas for the show, and uh, you've actually mentioned it a couple times. Is the idea of a magic online subscription? So how, how does that work out? Because I'm you know, I've given it a little bit of thought, but I don't know how that how that plays out. Do you- so, so here's, I mean, this is something that's come up, I'm sure, in conversations for over ten years. I mean, that, that Moto's over ten years old. It's, it's about ten years old, right? It, I think it's oh, yeah. 2002. Yeah. Pretty sure. Uh, there's obviously a demand there for people to want to play Magic 
online. I mean, even car, uh, games, you know, like Duels, uh, Duels of the Planeswalkers, the success of, of things like that. People want to play Magic online. I don't, I don't mean to say it, you know, Magic Online TM. I'm just trying to say people want to play Magic the <laughs> Gathering, comma, yeah. online. Uh, and, and I think Moto in general has been a huge success. But I think there's a huge number of people out there, myself being one of them, even though I did dabble in Moto for a little while, uh, that, that feel like there's this huge barrier to entry in that I have to acquire these cards twice, unless I'm just go, going on Moto to draft. Uh, if I want to play a constructed format, I have to, in both paper and online, now I need to, I get the cards in paper, which is, to a lot of people, that's hard enough. You know, cards like Bonfire the Damned that were, you know, touching $50 a, a, a month or two ago uh, and still is like a $30 card. It, you know, these are these are pretty pricey barriers to entry and people are acquiring these cards and then it's like, hey, I would love to play this deck on online, but I need to get the cards again. And that just seems like such a huge barrier to me and it always has. It's the reason that I never... It, back in back in like 1999, they released the... Uh, I think it was called the Magic Encyclopedia. It was actually, you know, a CD-ROM game that yeah. had a ton of cards in it. I remember it was... Uh, you know, Mercadian Masks was like the most recent set at the time, and I jumped right into that. I bought it as soon as it came out. So, you know, I was definitely on this track of playing this game. Did online, you ever play like, Chandelar, Joey? I, I did. <laughs> I I've seriously thought about streaming that. Yeah, that. I mean, <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would be. All right, I'm fun. running it. <laughs> so, so. All right, anyway, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, it's all good. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is, I'm the I'm a kind of person that was definitely into playing this online as soon as it was available, and then when they announced it and the way it was going to be structured, as you know, basically you need to buy the cards twice or acquire the cards twice. I was, you know, I was totally bummed, and I never even tried it uh, for years. That was 2002. You know when I bought into Magic Online? I think 2010. So that's when I got into it. And even at that point, even when I was building Callblade at the time and, and decks like that, it, it felt like every time a new set came out, I was bummed out again. And uh, I eventually just sold all my cards because I was like, I'm, I don't want to keep up with the format in two places. And... Uh, I think there's a lot of people that are in that in, in a similar situation where they'd be willing to to pay a subscription fee to have access to all the cards. And my suggestion, and I'm sure it's not you know uh, the first I'm not the first person to suggest something like this, but we have these other, let's say, uh, not exactly legal versions of Magic Online in in Magic Workstation and Cockatrice that are basically, um, you know, they're. They're skirting. They don't have the rules engine. Yeah, like they also they, don't have the magic online digital objects that you actually get to own. Right. So it, what they? It's basically you can play these play magic online, but it's it's kind of like writing with marker on bicycle cards and playing magic that yeah. way too. It's like the, yeah, the digital exactly. version of that. Yeah. Um, so there's obviously a market for this kind of thing. Why doesn't Wizards put forth some sort of subscription based model? That would be separate from what, what they have now. They could still keep what they have now, but they would introduce this new model where people could pay, say, 15 bucks a month. I think that's how much like World of Warcraft cost, or at least six years ago was the last time I played World of Warcraft, so I think that's how much it was. Uh, you know, 15 bucks a month, and you have access to all the cards. You can't enter tournaments. It's, it's essentially 
you you can use it to play test. But you, okay, so, so let me see. If, let me see if I have this right. So you this is called like Magic Online Lite, mm-hmm. and I log into this, mm-hmm. and I and all I have is a buddy list. Sure. And I could so I so you're on my buddy list, and then I just hit challenge. I pick my deck out. It has the rules engine in it. I can build any cards that I want, and that's all I can do. Right. There's so no, I, can't, no, I can't win prizes. There's no prizes. Can't, you can't draft. Because no drafting. So this is this is strictly a yeah. way to, to to test constructive magic. Right. And you can play, you know, EDH. I'm sorry, Commander. Um, <laughs> you can play any format you want because technically all the cards are available. You just, you know, you have to choose the format just like now. You, you know, you're playing a standard uh, standard game, you it will only let you choose standard cards. But essentially, it's just meant for playtesting or kind of, you know, you can probably run some sort of little private event, but there's no there's no actual prizes or anything for, uh, you know, for, for winning. It's just... It's, sure, sure. And I think one of the things is people, some people say, well, you're, it's not going to be true playtesting because it's it's like you're just playing against random people and they're goofy goofy decks because they're they can build anything and that's part of the downfall of it i guess if you really want to get some true you know competitive magic you're going to have to go to the other side which is exists now so would you would you maybe make it more attractive to be playing in events on magic online maybe even turn it into instead of being a hub for daily events and eight mans you really make it like a grand prix type thing or like make it you know, make it something way more significant than just being something that you piddle around on. Because I think that's really what it comes down to for me. I think the barrier for, for Watsi is they've got this whole economy and they've got this whole set of formats and tournaments and practice rooms that it all kind of feeds into one another pretty elegantly. Mm-hmm. But I, so I just don't know where a subscription model plays in and if it helps or hinders that. Uh, Ruben, did you, you had something you wanted to add? Well, I just thought I'd uh, there. There was an interesting article written recently on Channel Fireball by Quentin Martin called "Making Magic Better," um, and among the suggestions that he has about, about various things is um, sort of merging the uh, Matt, your Magic Online account with the real world and. You know things like uh, Magic Online satellite tournaments, like they do for poker tournaments, and having those be able to earn you buys or whatnot for real life events. Now, he takes it a bit farther than that. He's an employee of Poker Stars, so he wants to basically turn Magic into Poker Stars, from what I gather mm. from this article. But he has some very interesting points, and you know, it's sort of the, the, the subscription model is one way to go about it. Um, uh, you know, merging with a smartphone app, merging Magic Online with a smartphone app. Um, you know, and then he's got other things in here, like something called the Dutch Mulligan, which is basically mulliganing from six to six to five to five, and it's really strange like that. But you know, he's got a lot of things that he says can make Magic better. And my general overriding question here is: All right, so Joey, you want to? change something enormously right mm-hmm. in magic that that you know by all accounts isn't perfect um quentin martin wants to change a ton of things we've had several articles recently about various things getting changed but magic's never been more popular and so if you shake the boat this much could that 
go in the wrong direction? Could you scare people away? Uh, that's a, that, I mean, that's a real question you have to ask, Ruben. I mean, like I have three things that I keep in my pocket that I think are will drastically affect Magic's ability to survive. And something like revamping Magic Online isn't on that list. So that that's just that's just my my thought. I think everything that Watsy does as far as R and D and when they when they buckle when they buckle down and make an announcement like releasing Power Online or, you know, uh, Phantom Drafts or Cube and, and all this stuff, I think they do it with good intentions and honestly with the intention that they're gonna be able to make money from it. Yeah. So I think ultimately, yeah, I, I trust them to do it. Now those those other three things we're going to talk about one in a in a minute, which is the reserve list. But I think that if they if they touch those, you you have a big problem. Uh, and just in case you're curious, the other two the other two are uh, pack prices and the pro tour. And uh, we we can talk about those uh, another time. But I think those three things, reserve list, pack price, and pro tour, are essential to the long term growth of Magic as a brand. And uh, and will keep players like us playing and and our listeners playing. For years to come. Yeah. So now that now I, I agree, Ruben, or I agree w- with Cranny that, that Ruben, your points are are definitely valid, and you know it's it is a big concern that you, you don't want to rock the boat, that, especially one that's floating so high. I guess. Yeah, that, that works. Really work, but uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and and this isn't a perfect comparison, but you know, back in the the late seventies and early eighties, they said cassette tapes were going to destroy the music industry because people could just record their music off the radio. And then in the late 90s, you have Napster, and it's like, you know, that's going to destroy the music industry because people can now download music for free. Uh, yeah, when I said Napster, I didn't mean the deck Napster for those of you right. guys who may Got have it. heard Napster referred to in a, in a different way. Uh, but anyway, you know, <laughs> downloading music for free was going to destroy the music industry. And uh, then you have, you know, Apple come along and, and kind of, revolutionize things with like the iTunes store. And what, what ended up happening was I think it was just, it, it definitely revolutionized the music industry, but it didn't destroy it. It completely changed it. And it ga- made music available to more people at a better, better price. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at it as a similar kind of thing here where there's a ton of people out there who just don't play magic online because it's, too high of a barrier to entry, but if they could pay mm-hmm. fifteen bucks a month, or twenty bucks a month, or something, and have access to all the cards, they would jump in. There's, they're going to make a ton of money from just. And this is my theory. I, I assume that this is true. But they're going to make a ton of money if people that are going to go, cool. I can, I can download this. I can sign up and pay, you know, this much a month and just have access to all the cards and just play as much as I want. And maybe I never, maybe I'm not a competitive player. I just want to play with my friends. But now I call up my friend and say, hey, did you see what they introduced? You can just sign up for twenty bucks a month. Let's get on and we'll play against each other all the time. And, you know, they've got a ton, a huge chunk of audience that they don't have right now. Yeah. So it's funny not to add too much more to this, but I always thought that they were not utilizing magic online as much as they could. And, you know, a few years ago, prior to the, to the version upgrade, when they went from V2 to V3, Mm -hmm. it just seems like instead of having, you know, four or 500 people in the draft queues, you should have, 15,000. I mean, you have enough players out there that want to play it, but I think to your argument, Joey, you probably would get those 15,000 if the price point was lower because you got these guys that, you know, for all intents and purposes, they, they, they can't win 
an 8-4. They can't win even a 4-3-2-2, and they're sitting in Swiss queues, and they're spending their paycheck to draft a couple times, but, you know, really they can't they can't sustain that. Like, that's not sustainable. The, the card prices are too low unless you crack Mythics. You don't win enough packs, and you have ticks, You have to pay ticks to get in. Yeah. Whereas, like, ten, you know, five or six years ago, I remember joining drafts. You could sell rares three for one ticket, and all the rares were worth between two to four tickets, like the, the reasonable ones. And if you had a good one, it'd be worth ten. And I mean, you could sustain drafting even if you weren't even that good at drafting, and you just can't do that these days. So, but... uh I'm going to transition us over to, to another topic that's pretty pretty similar to you know adding Magic Online to or adding power to Magic Online. It's an interesting topic because you know if that really takes off as a format on Magic Online and people say okay well that's really cool where can I find paper vintage tournaments these days? And the answer is that there's there's not any there aren't you know you have a few proxy tournaments you may have a couple local followings but uh, vintage is pretty much unsupportable by most communities because of the high cost of entry and uh, and also some of the stigma around the format itself, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, this really brings up a topic that's been really hot on Twitter today, which is the reserved list. And uh, at Revised Angel, uh, Heather Dawn made a post in response to a thread that came up uh, a little bit earlier, and she asked, you know, what do you think about the reserved list? Is it antiquated or is it necessary? And... The responses she got were just in, 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 amazing. I mean, she got, I would guess, over 100 responses from people, you know, saying one way or the other whether they liked it or not. And uh, I, I'd like to talk about it because this is a topic I think we maybe only talked about on the show one or two other times. And I think it's really important that uh, that we dig into it. So I'm going to start it off with a, a, simple, uh, a, a simple analogy for why the reserve list is not a good thing. And Joey and I were kind of chuckling before the show and talking about the reserve list. It's, it was created like before the modern internet. And uh, in case you don't know what it is, wizards a long time ago, they had, they had some backlash from reprinting cards in fourth edition and Chronicles. And uh, so, so you had cards like carrying ants and then the elder dragons that were going between 25 to $30. And then they were printed in Chronicles and it crashed the value. And there's a number of articles that have been written on this. There's a really good one that was posted a few months ago on StarCityGames.com that we'll link to by Chaz Andres that really walks through the history of the reserve list. But ultimately, it was created to protect these old cards so that players knew they aren't going to be printed again. And so Wizards sort of like haphazardly managed this list over the course of 10 years. And, you know, so they, they took cards off like in 2002 they removed the unlimited, beta, alpha, commons, and uncommons, and then they systematically started picking off the commons and uncommons from other sets until they are eventually left with a bunch of rares, which was one of the criteria for a card being on the reserve list. But then they skirted it by printing foreign versions, foil versions, uh, judge, you know, judge foils, promotional cards from the vault cards, and, and just continued to circumvent this list, find loopholes, etc. Uh, until finally, uh, in 2010, they, you know, they made an announcement after this last printing of Judge Foils, which I believe was Wheel of Fortune and um, maybe Morphling or something, we are not going to be, you know, the, the reserve list is here. It's not changing, period, end of story. We're not, you know, n- nothing more to it. And this is kind of an interesting thing because we have formats like EDH, Legacy, and Vintage 
that really heavily rely on the reserveless cards like Guy's Cradle, Dual Lands, Moxon, Moat, Tabernacle to to be able to exist. And as these formats increase in popularity, the supply or the demand goes up, the supply goes down, and they just continue to bump up in price. And uh, not only that, you have cards that are destroyed, you have cards that are lost, um, you know, sucked up by collectors and EDH guys that you know they'll never sell. Right. So. You know, what does this mean for, for a format like Legacy that's, you know, really popular and, you know, fairly supportable? You know, we have the StarCityGames.com Open Series supports, uh, you know, 26 to, I don't even know how many times you guys do the Open Series now. I think it's like, what is it, 40 times a year or something? Yeah, yeah it's like 40, 45 times a year, right? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a, a huge tournament series that's, you know, built on Legacy, but is that sustainable in five years? Could you really, you know, if you had another... 30 to 40,000 players under the format that wanted to play legacy. Could you really sustain that? Yeah, that, that would be, that's a big number. <laughs> I can't imagine that. I mean, I guess sustainable. No, I, I don't think it is. It's, it, you'll, you well, already see dual lands. Like what, how much is underground see now? Like 130, 150 bucks. Like, yeah, that's just yeah. a land. I mean, that's just, it's a, it's a great land and everything, <laughs> but that, <laughs> you know, like that is, the you know the the buddy land of 1994 you know <laughs> I mean like that was that was supposed to be the, you know the land that everybody you know these these this is the the set of lands that people need to play the game and they've decided they're not going to reprint these uh and and, the, and but those are necessary those are like the buddy lands of legacy and vintage you know like you mm-hmm. need them you, you see I see the buddy lands I'm talking about the the core set lands you know yeah. glacial fortress and and uh drowned catacombs and things like that so yeah uh and they continuously reprint those because i I think they're they know that these lands are necessary these these are going to be our base you know dual lands from here you know for the foreseeable future as far as we know anyway on the outside um and this is what this was this, this is what these uh original duels are to legacy and vintage. And if just the, looking at those alone, not being reprinted, the more people that get into the format, you know, unless you, suddenly legacy becomes a format of monocolored decks, which is just not happening. People are going to need duels and they're not going to have them. And, you know, $150 is already too much for one fourth of a play set of, <laughs> yeah. of one land. You know, I, I don't, I don't really know how they, how they expect yeah. I don't know if they expect it to continue. I don't, I don't well, think they do. What's that? I, I think I don't think that they expect Legacy to continue. Uh, my my hunch is that they are trying to. They'll they'll just be like you know eventually one day Legacy's going to die and Modern's going to happen. Like that's what they're thinking in their heads. It's like, certainly what it feels like anyway. Yeah. Like the here's you know everyone's like well how are they going to make modern succeed like i asked that question in quick questions once and i brought it up on twitter and people and i started you know some discussion people have been discussing it outside of me obviously all over the country and all over the world and saying like all right how do we make modern a success well it's easy you kill the other format yeah right you just let legacy die and then people will have nowhere to go but play modern and that's how we'll do it so okay so this brings an interesting question is okay so let's let's say legacy dies let's say vintage dies let's say you can only play these formats online nobody cares about them what about edh do you, you I mean 
I, I just as an experiment, the last few days I've been monitoring, well, not the last few days, the last two days, I've been monitoring the traffic of EDH posters or EDH people on the Magic Salvation message boards. Mm-hmm. And it's the second most viewed board of all of the strategy boards. And it's like really close to standard. Wow. It's, it's amazing. And if you talk to any player, I mean, the, the default casual format is EDH. That didn't exist. Like, you didn't have a default casual format. Like, you either played kitchen table magic or you played standard back then. Yeah, like you right. Didn't, you didn't have, I mean, you, you, you could, and then eventually turn it to type one and type two, but you still, you didn't have that. And now you have a casual format that has its own band list. I mean, it's, it's, it's regulated by a committee and they, you know, they choose which cards they have on and off of it. So what do you do in 10 years when, you know, the guy running Sliver Legion has to spend $2,000 to get one of each dual land? I mean, there is going to come a point. It may not be today, you know, tw- almost 20 years after the, the first dual land was printed. Uh, or it may not be 10 years from now, 30 freaking years from the, from, you know, the last time a dual land was printed. I, I mean, there is going to come a point where you will not be able to get dual lands. They're, they're just gonna they're just gonna be destroyed, mangled beyond belief, lost, or they're gonna be two three hundred dollars. I mean, it ha- it has to happen if you want if EDH is gonna continue the track that it's on. You either ban them out of EDH, you know, legacy dies, then some of that demand goes away, but it'll ultimately get picked back up. Players will want them. Players will always want dual lands. So what yeah. what do you do? To EDH, like, do you just say, well, fine, no reserve list cards then? You know, does the committee just come out and say that? Or, I mean, you're, what do you do? I mean, it's a casual format. If, at some point, at some point, they'll be like, all right, proxies are legal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but right? you know, that's something, Stodd wrote an article about that I mean, forever ago, about about proxies, you know, being, you know, there was an issue with Legacy when the Dual Lands first spiked before the last Grand Prix in Columbus, Stod wrote an article about, you know, hey, this this isn't sustainable, guys. And uh, and I don't, you know, of course, want to speak for Stoddard because I'm sure he has a totally different perspective than he's at Watsi. But, you know, he gave some ideas for how proxies could help inject some some of that back into to the format. But, you know, the bottom line is the reserve list is creating a problem in and of itself. I mean, the idea may have been good 15 years ago, whenever it was created, but it's very it's very antiquated. Yeah, so uh, the thing about the reserve list, well, the, the the way I perceive it, I have not yet encountered anyone who is a staunch advocate of the reserve list. And that includes the the feeling I get from the uh, public statements from people internally at Wizards. They seem to kind of either, they, they kind of shrug or they, you know, obviously you can't shrug in text, but, um, <laughs> but you know, you get this kind of impression from, from people like, uh, Mark Rosewater and Aaron Forsyth, you know, on Twitter when they're just kind of like, yeah, we, we can't do that. It's, they, they don't ever really have a good argument. It's more like, Hey, our hands are tied. So and that's the problem. Yeah. There's no, there's no communication around it at all. Yeah. And, and I mean, I get the impression that, you know, here we are, us three, and and presumably our listeners, we're, we're players of the game. We love this game, and we want it to succeed, and we want it to be continue to be fun and and everything. And the guys on the inside, when you look, when you start naming the people that we know on the inside, they're just us, you know, on a different different side of the you know the looking glass, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. 
Sam and and Gavin and Aaron Forsyth and Mark Rosewater, they're players of the game too. And I imagine that they have very similar opinions to ours. So I think it's it really comes down to it's, it's a legal thing. They're, apparently their hands are tied, and they and because of that, they also can't really even talk about it. So it's that's why you get these kind of cryptic or just you know, like you said, Cranny, no communication. These cryptic messages that are just kind of like reserved list is sticking. Our hands are tied. That's it. That's all we're gonna say. Okay, so let's let's say it is legal. Let's let's say for a second that some you know collector or group of collectors, after the wake of Chronicles or whatever, in, engage with an attorney and put in a clause in some contract that Watsi's not gonna abolish the reserve list or whatever. And for all of their loopholes and skirting the line, they've been able to uphold this until 2010 when they said they're not changing anyone. Okay, so let's say that that exists. What's the punishment? So, I mean, what if I'm a, if I'm a business owner and I'm looking and, and I, uh, let's say I'm the head of Wizards. Let's just forget the hypothetical. I'm the head of Wizards and you have a little co- a document in front of me that says Joe Smith says he'll sue you for $10 million if you if you get rid of the reserve list. Okay, fine. I'll make $100 million over the course of 10 years by reprinting these cards. Fine, I'll pay it. Here's your settlement. Have a nice day. Hey, guess what, everybody? Reserve list is gone. We're not going to reprint your Moxon. Don't worry. Like, we'll, If we're going to reprint Moxon, they're going to be in a very diplomatic way. Like they say in the reserve list, communication as is, that a card not on the reserve list doesn't mean it's going to get reprinted, you know. So, so pay it. Who, who the hell cares? I mean, it's it's just money, and you're going to be able to make that money back in droves. So that leaves the other option, which means it's an internal directive, and this is a more likely scenario. And I'm not even getting into conspiracy theory here. I think it's an internal directive by some of the older members of R and D guys that have been there for a long time. Um, you know, Morrow constantly totes that restriction breeds creativity. He says it. He, he will not let you go by a quarter without having him say that phrase. And having the reserve list round is certainly a way to breed creativity among R&D. So if it's a directive from Wizards to say, hey, sure, yeah, we, we said we're never going to print these lands again. So that, that'll make us aspire to, to design and print better lands from now until the end of Magic. Well, there's a very real consequence to that. Even though it's well-intentioned to design better cards and design better sets, it's going to hurt formats like EDH that uh, that you really want to try to focus on because you think making money in standard is a big thing. You watch players that play EDH, they gobble up these box sets. I mean, you can't keep them in. I tried to get a... um, uh, The Commander set, I tried to get From the Vaults. These things get gobbled up by, by players collectors and and one last thing before before i step out my soapbox the idea that reprinting a card will cause it to lose value is illogical and and not even true um especially when you're talking about creating a product or something that will create demand for something so if you know the best example is modern masters they've only announced one card that they're going to reprint which is tarmogoyf so the logic would state, okay, well, they're going to reprint Tarmogoyf. Well, I'm going to sell my Tarmogoyfs because they're going to go down. They've gone up $10 since they announced Modern Masters. Wow. Yeah. it's it, People want to play this game. It's a player's game. It's not a collector's game anymore. Like, yes, 
we, we can all make money doing it, but that's only because there's demand by players. That's only because there's EDH guys and legacy guys and vintage guys that are willing to drop the coin to play it. Otherwise, this format would be, or the, the financial market would be dominated by guys, you know, buying misprints, buying Japanese foils. That's just not the case. It's a player's market. It's, it's, you make money by buying the cards that players want to play, not the players want to collect. That's why you don't see Zephids, you know, at 30 and $40, because they're just not collectible. No one cares about Zephid. No one cares about King Solomon's. Who the hell cares about these dumb cards? But I sure as hell care about a guy's cradle. Right. You know? So, that that's my thing. I just think the whole idea of the reserve list is poorly communicated. It is antiquated. It feels like social security. It's like the redheaded stepchild. It was needed back then. It's not needed today. Magic is better off without it. I would I just I would seriously trade every dual land I own, every piece of power I own. I would give them to somebody to play if I knew that the reserve list would go away. I just I would rather have more people play and not prevent someone from playing into buying into a format. Then uh, you know, basically saying, "Hey, guess what? Fifteen years, the formats that you love and know, they're gone. They will be gone." Hmm. What do you think, Ruben? I am voting for Cranny for president. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. No, I mean, I agree with everything that, that Cranny just said. I mean, we're all on the same page here. Look, yeah, we, the three of us, are. You know, there's a reason why our, you know, our podcast listenership might be the some of it might be the most probably isn't the most but one of the most um competitive listenerships because we're you know the official star city open series podcast and we have you know people that go to star city games are are competitive players you know right that's that's just what what our listenership is and so the the fact that the three of us are like yeah let's have more competitiveness and forget about all these collectors isn't too surprising um, with that said, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, there's, this is a, this is an old thing that, no, that nobody needs anymore. Like, get rid of it, you dummies. Make <laughs> money. Dummies. Take our money, wizards. All we want to do is hand you our dollars. And you're just like, nope, we can't do it because somebody wrote this down 15 years ago. <laughs> I, yeah, like I said, pay the fine, move on. And if it's an internal thing, get rid of it let players feel, you know, that they don't have to fight for their format. But, uh, if, yeah, if, if I, and obviously, yeah, I agree. And I guess, um, the, the only, and I don't remember it, but I, the only argument I remember getting was, uh, was recorded on episode 14 of Yo MTG taps back <laughs> in, uh, back in March, 2010. And it was right. It was before their announcement, the, you know, the official announcement that they're going to uphold it. I think they had, it, it became like a huge thing at the time people were talking about it. And we recorded an episode about it. And we had our friend Lloyd on and he was trying to play the devil's advocate and he didn't do very well. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it's a tough position to defend. Yeah. Like if you actually are trying to defend the reserve list, it's not an easy thing to defend. Yeah, and and it's it's a it's definitely a hot topic, but it seems like everybody. It, it's odd that it's a hot topic because everybody seems to be on the same page, and it's just wizards that is yeah. being stubborn, I guess if that's, if that's what you want to call it. But it's a similar it, thing. It's like they're trying to protect us from something we don't know about. You know what I mean? Like if it was just if they just came out and said exactly why they have to have it, as opposed to leaving it to this you know crazy ambiguous like just. You know, it's it's all conjecture. Like we're just all we're all guessing, 
And some of that's fine, you know, like for new sets, but it's not for a company directive that involves the future of the game. You know, yeah, yeah I want to guess about a, a new planeswalker, not about whether or not I should, you know, be worried about holding on to underground seas or whatever. Like it's just you're making it more about financial. Uh, you're making it more about finances than less about finances when you have something like the reserve list. As someone said on Twitter, I, I don't remember who, and I'm sorry for not quoting you, but he said that magic cards shouldn't be guaranteed bonds. Like you shouldn't, yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't be able to just go buy reserve list cards and be like, well, they're going to go up. So, you know, they're going to reprint them. I'll just, you know, I'll just hoard whatever. Yeah. And I'll, hoard, I'll hoard intuitions until I have 600 of them and they're at, you know, $60 a piece and I'll slowly bleed them back out. There's a, you, there's a guaranteed way. If you had a million dollars, you could turn it into $2 million or just buy up all the reserve cards and then slowly bleed them out over time. I mean, yeah. that, that's, a real, that's a very real thing. I'm sure someone could crunch the numbers and do it. We already have people making very large-scale investments in magic cards, um, in, in not even reserve list cards. Uh, Ted Nutson, you know, and, and a few other people bought into dual lands on Magic Online. I mean, in, in a very high amount. So people are treating this game very seriously in spite of the reserve list, you know, in spite of the risk involved. So why take away all the risk? Like, why why even make it a thing? Why even make it a guarantee that you're not going to print them? Yeah, and just on a kind of a separate thing, I think it's really sad and unfortunate that Wizards has basically decided, at least from their actions, not from their words, but that Vintage and Legacy are are slowly dying, and they've basically signed that we do not want them, we're not going to put them on life support ever. We're just going to... You know what I mean? We're just going to let them die. And it's not seems, the first time. seems so sad to me. You know, these are popular formats to some de- to the degree that they can be popular. And obviously, Legacy is is pretty popular getting a tournament every weekend, essentially. Uh, these are popular formats, and Wizards just going to... Just letting them die. It's, it is sad. It's very sad. And it, and it goes... It goes even beyond, I think, just the reserve list. You know... I really was pleased when we saw Time Spiral and when we see these new Judge Foils when they throw back to the old card frame mm-hmm. because it acknowledges a design, like it acknowledges something beautiful that, that Wizards created. Yeah. And um, and I think that like the reserve list is, and, and also to an extent, like not pushing legacy, not creating overextended, it's not, it's not giving homage to these old sets and these great cards that were created and not allowing people to experience them the way that I experienced them. Yeah. And they never and they never will be. I mean, if if we don't think we're ever going to see, you know, Goblin Pile Driver printed again, that's sad. That card is amazing, you know, or, or, or Goblin Lackey or whatever. Like it, it's sad that modern you can't let those cards into modern without, you know, having other measures. And uh, there's a lot of parts of Legacy that I think really illustrate the best of ma- uh, modern magic and old magic. And killing that off, you're right, Joey. It's sad. So, you guys want to move on? Yeah, sure. yes. Um, <laughs> I, I, so, we just have one last thing we want to talk about before we end the show here. Sam Stoddard was extended an offer by Wizards of the Coast to be a full-time as a second So awesome. Yay! So excellent. So, he will no longer be a intern. He will be a... Uh, whatever his title is, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, huge congrats to Sam. He is, um, of course, the you know the founder of our show. If you're someone who has just started listening, um, he basically started the show and ended it around episode eighty to go work at Wizards and 
now he is completely realizing the dream and becoming a full-time employee. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Another friend of the show, J.R. Wade, also just recently started working at Wizards in the customer service department. Fantastic. So uh, if you want to call in and ask him questions about how your cards work, you should do that. Just bug him. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I like it. So, uh, so yeah, I guess, I guess that's about everything for this week. Uh, you guys have anything you want to plug? Uh, I mean, in our, our next episode, we'll probably get back to our normal talking about the standard metagame. We'll, we'll t- discuss the rise of Rakdos zombies, which have taken down the last two standard Grand Prix. Um, and then obviously, uh, Mikahito Mihara also won with Rakdos, but that was a draft. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> Yuya, the machine, wants an Abe. Top eight, top eight Grand again. It's not really living up to surprised. his. I know. <laughs> we, we'll let you know when he doesn't top eight. How's that? Oh yeah, that's more notable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it reminds me of like that scene in Forrest Gump when he's like, "I had to go meet the president of the United States again." Yep. Like <laughs> you, you're just like I top eight at a Grand Prix again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. So uh, yeah, we'll get back to the, to, to uh, talking about you know, the, the rise of thunder, my Hellkite and hoof, there it is and all that stuff next week. But, uh, th- this week we had, we had a soapbox we needed to, uh, to step on. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's about it. Um, I got another news and coming out next week. I advertise it every week. You guys should know this by now. Um, you should definitely so, yeah. be watching it because it's hilarious. Yeah. We had a fun, I, I recorded it to, uh, today, actually, just before I recorded this podcast, I recorded the news and it's, it's it a good, good one. It's a good one. I nice. think they're all good ones, but, uh, I liked, I liked this one a lot, so. Nice. So for, the, for those of you guys that, that might be, uh, coming to Baltimore, definitely stop by and say hello. Um, uh, I'll be there on Saturday, as, as we mentioned earlier in the show. Get your tokens signed. Yeah, that's right. I'll have, uh, in contention tokens. I, I only sign, uh, Cranny and Ruben tokens, though, just. Oh, do you really? No. That's awesome. <laughs> That's such a good idea. <laughs> I will not sign my own token. Uh, no, I I, uh, I I will have tokens if you guys want to grab some. I will have them at the, the booth. So uh, definitely come up and say hello. Cool, I, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing how people are going to take down Rakdos now that it seems to be the deck to beat. Right. It's a, it's a good deck. Get those pillar flames out, boys. I don't know. I think you need, I think you need instant speed. Uh, and by deal with zombies, what we really mean is deal with enormous, hasty four and five drops. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you need the instant speed removal. Yep. So. All right, that's it for this week. Until next week, we are in contention. <laughs>